Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you should check out the topic for this episode because it's probably going to be spoilers. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Label Podcast. This is the first of our uh, promised slightly different approaches to podcasting. So this week um, I am here without my beloved Lucy uh, and uh, I am here with an old friend of the show uh, who's gonna come along and help us uh, geek out with a little bit of Fabled. I am joined today by Leo. Leo, would you like to say hi to everyone? Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to be here. I am very excited. I was just saying to Leo that uh, sort of fantasy fictions not really lucy's thing and i've got this and another geek out special fabled episode coming up in a few weeks so i am very excited to to get my geek on and uh, lucy's going to be doing serious things and having proper conversations with grown-ups <laughs> <laughs> i know which i'd rather be doing <laughs> Um, so our regular listeners will know that our fabled episodes are episodes where we talk about disabled characters from uh, film and literature and fiction. Um, and today, Leo is going to talk to us a little bit about a character that we actually discussed when you were originally on the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Talking about uh, Kaz Brecker from uh, the Six of Crows duology and the Shadow and Bone Netflix adaptation. Yes. Um, so when we first met with Leo uh, on our Pride series last year, which um, if you guys haven't heard that, I would absolutely go back and take a listen. We had a, a long chat about um, representation of disabled characters. I got very excited because uh, I had just watched the, um, I'd read all the Shadow and Bone books and the Six Crows books. Personally, I think I preferred the Six Crows books. Leo's nodding. Um, they are much better written. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, they just, I know, I know that it's um, all like young adult fiction stuff, but the Six of Crows books just feel a bit more mature, a bit sort of, just yeah just better written just a bit they've got more substance to them i think whereas i definitely got halfway through the first uh the first of the uh grisha books and was a bit like am i too old for this yeah. like yeah i got really excited when we were talking in the because i thought that um i actually thought the casting choice that they had for kaz in the the Netflix series, I thought the guy playing him did a really good job. I felt like visually he he fit what I had in my head. And I thought that, you know, he, he did a, he, like I said, did a really good job. But one of the things that we're always saying here on Labeled is that we are, we are very keen and happy to have our kind of ideas challenged. And it was really only in that conversation with Leo that we started talking about 
the you know disabled characters not being played by disabled people and uh yeah it's really ever since then i've been really kind of more mindful of it and thinking a lot more about it and it's <laughs> i'm quite cross because it's really put me off uh charlie cox and the daredevil series because yes. i'm just mm-hmm. like Absolutely. i really liked that but yeah yeah it is it is you know the thing i just keep coming back to is actually in many ways it is no different from putting a person in blackface and expecting a you know white person to play a a non-white character it's unacceptable because being disabled is part of who a person is and it's part of who a character is mm-hmm. yeah 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 where where should i start <laughs> <laughs> um i mean do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about the books and a little bit about kaz's story yeah for sure so six of crows is uh, two books um that are a spin-off from the original grisha verse series the shadow and bone books and um originally they basically you know they're set in the same world but they really have like nothing to do with the characters and the story of shadow and bone so you know i read the six of crows books um back in 2017 i think um and had no idea what i didn't know anything about shadow and bone you don't need to know anything about shadow and bone to read the books to understand six of crows um but yeah so it is a fantasy series and it's basically a fantasy heist series um there have been a lot of books following its success that kind of try to do a similar thing um and there are books that came before that also you know it didn't invent the genre the books that i've read since that were published after i have yet to find one that is as good as six of crows to be honest um i haven't yet read a lot of ones that uh came before um but yeah so it's a it's about basically six uh you know teenagers who in this They're fantasy sort of outcasts, world outcasts aren't they yeah and... outcasts in each in their own way um it's very uh diverse and inclusive and it's a very uh, it's a very gritty story that doesn't shy away from a lot of topics um mm. one of the characters uh Inej who is coded and it's tricky right talking about this stuff with fantasy series which the author, you know, Lee Bardugo is white. Um, so that can definitely be a factor in terms of judging how she portrays um, certain characters in characters of color in, in the series. Um, Inej is coded as, I want to say she's coded as Romani. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she was uh, trafficked, a, a victim of, of trafficking um in the in the series and um has a lot of understandable trauma and and around and ptsd around that and there's some really interesting um stuff that they put in there as we kind of learn a bit more about inej's um you know exploitation um Mm -hmm. and um you know sexual assaults and Mm -hmm. and things where there's a lot of exploration of that kind of fetishization of Mm -hmm. um others and mm-hmm. um which which is really interesting um as you yeah, say it's sure. not no no shying away from some of these things yeah definitely it kind of talks about like the sexualization of mm-hmm. of young women of color and um that so yeah and so one of the other characters um is 
uh, Jesper, who is, I believe he's described as a, he's a biracial, dark-skinned, um, black character. Mm. And I, I bring that up because I know that that was something that was a criticism of the casting choice, um, was that they cast a, a light-skinned black actor for the role, mm. which is, you know, systemic of a larger issue of, of colorism in, in, in Hollywood. Uh, let's see, who else? And then there's uh, Nina, who is a uh, a magic user who's kind of on the run. Um, and Nina is someone who uh, sort of traveled over from the, the Shadow and Bone books, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And so, um, and she's described as being as being fat, as being plus sized, um, and, um, and beautiful because those two things, you know, those aren't exclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that was another criticism as well of the casting. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, oh, and I forgot to say Jesper. So Jesper is like the sharpshooter of the group. He is the one who, um, is very ADHD coded, I would say um and struggles with addiction as well yeah and if i remember correctly isn't he he's certainly i think attracted to both men and women yes he's yeah he's he's bisexual yeah 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 and let's see who else is there um and then i'll I'll just jump into talking about kaz because that's that's why i'm here um (laughs) yeah i mean he's the he's the leader i suppose isn't he so Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he um, is a fascinating character for a lot of reasons, um, both to me and I think just in general in the way he's written. So he uses a cane. He had his leg broken and walks with a limp and so uses the cane as a mobility aid. Um, and something that's interesting is that he also has he has PTSD and specifically a fear of touching other people's skin mm-hmm. after he... Uh, almost died and during like this like big plague that hit the city and was tossed in with a bunch of dead bodies and trapped there in in the water with the, yeah, all on the corpse boat wasn't it mm-hmm. oh god yeah, yeah i yeah. remember reading that and and as you say the way that's written i am i'm not surprised you know if, if that was your experience you'd come away think not wanting to touch the skin of other people having oh, been surrounded by that yeah Yeah. And so that was something that I think, um, and it's also interesting because this book was written in 2015. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting also just in terms of how quickly things have changed in the literary world and books obviously take a long time to be published, but, um, just in terms of setting the scene of like what, what kind of books were out and what we were reading and what the world was like in 2015, very different world. Um, (laughs) um, even though it wasn't that long ago. But anyway, I digress. Um, so one of the things that I really appreciated about it was that um, many of the characters have all of these intersecting identities and issues, and it isn't just, um, all of them feel very fleshed out and very real and very multidimensional and not like she slapped like an, a, a, an identity on random characters randomly kind of thing. Mm. Um, like to going, oh, well, I want to make sure I include a black person and a gay person and a, a disabled right. person. So tick, tick, tick. Yes. They, yeah, right. ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly because I view, I mean, 
I, I view Kaz as having multiple disabilities, right? I mean, if you think about how he has the cane and then also the PTSD and then also mm-hmm. these issues that prevent him from, you know, ha- that cause such anxiety and, and, and trauma of not being able to touch the skin of other people, which is something that comes up within the story that was like really impactful to me as somebody who has multiple disabilities um, and who uses a cane. Um, and so I actually, so, so Kaz is a really interesting character in, in that regard. Um, and my, my connection with him is, is really interesting because I actually um, started using a cane after reading the books because I really needed it, but I only felt comfortable doing so after like reading the books and, and seeing his character kick ass and be like, oh, it was kind of like giving myself permission to use a mobility aid that I'd needed for a very long time. And that was really um, something that, that I was thinking as you were talking is that Kaz is, although he is a a disabled character he's not just a disabled character there is a lot of depth to him and and he is charming's not the right word but you can't help but warm to him there is a you know there there is something about Kaz that is that draws you in he's I suppose charismatic and intriguing and loyal and Mm -hmm. um you know really yeah he he's sorry i was gonna say he's very he's very clever he's very very smart and he's also a fucking asshole (laughs) yeah he is actually you know it's funny um you say that and i i he is what i am now now that i'm in my mid-30s i look Mm -hmm. back on all the guys i dated from the ages of 15 to when i met my husband at 23 and it is incredibly smart charismatic fucking assholes the lot of them (laughs) (laughs) and you know it's i i have been noticing with some of the other like young uh young adult fiction stuff like that's that is certainly a trope of that kind of of fiction that's aimed at certainly i think young women i i think twilight is probably the kind of epitome of that and i i never read those books because i got i think halfway through the first chapter of the first one i'm like jesus this is trash (laughs) yeah well and and actually it's it's funny that you bring that up because i actually um i have been kind of analyzing all of these um i'm not gonna i i was re-watching buffy with my roommate and it made me think of some interesting (laughs) things there about parallels of um certain things that that's that's a whole other conversation but just in terms of parallels with like romantic relationships something that kind of happened as a product of six of crows being a spin-off of shadow and bone is that people started comparing kaz to the darkling yeah and that really pissed me off and a lot of other people <laughs> off because it is a very very different situation um yeah and i think it's really frustrating because I understand from like a surface level, like a sheer surface level, where that comparison is coming from. It is but the, the darkling... it, it, same charismatic arrogance in both. Yeah, of them. absolutely. But one of those, there's a huge power difference, and it's mm-hmm. very predatory. Mm-hmm. And the other is a 17 year old boy who's a 17 year old boy who's an asshole. Oh yeah, um, and who... and of the two. I, it would be the darkling that at 17 I would have been like oh my god that's my future husband 
whereas <laughs> <laughs> I would have I would have spent 10 minutes with Kaz and been like you're a surface asshole you don't really treat me like shit I can't spend time with you yeah yeah <laughs> well that's the thing is that like it's it's really I think the adaptation just brings to light a lot of other issues we have in terms of um culture and and media analysis in terms of like I think of how um a lot of people came a lot of I would say probably mostly straight women came away from the Star Wars sequels being like, man, Kylo Ren is so hot. Um, and he's a, he's a, he's a fascist space mm -hmm. Nazi. I don't really think that's the messaging you should be taking away. Um, personally. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's been, it's been interesting seeing that as people are like, wow, the Darkling, especially because he's portrayed by such a charismatic actor. It's this interesting thing of taking the wrong thing away of like, wow, I see how that's like dangerous and being like, wow, Ben Barnes is so hot. It's like, I'm not saying he's not hot. I'm saying that we gotta like, we gotta have some like, you know, some ability to think media literacy. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting because, um, you know, completely digressing from Kaz, but Ben Barnes, he plays, you know, you look at, um, is it Jigsaw, the character he plays in the uh, Punisher? It's the same. It's that he's super deceptive. He's actually, you know, the bad guy. He's actually really evil. But you spend the majority of that series being like, oh my God, he's such, he's charismatic. He's a sweetheart. I'm in love with him. And that is definitely a trope that is kind of really being sold to young women. I was just gonna say, I think one of the things, I think kind of tying it back of one of the reasons it's really frustrating, particularly in relation to Kaz, is that Kaz is disabled. Mm. And comparing Kaz with all of these other villains is this overlap that we have of disabled people consistently being portrayed as villains. Well, particularly because he is not a villain. There is nothing right. villainous about that character. He's a complex right. character. He makes right. hard calls and there are, you know, certainly in the books, times where you're questioning his actions until you get mm -hmm. those kind of reveals, but he's not a villainous character. Right. And that's what's that's what makes him so amazing is that because we had all of these, we have eons of disabled people being the villains and villains being disabled, right? Mm. But that then there was this kind of switch around of like, well, you're either as a disabled person, you're either portrayed as a villain or a victim, mm. like, a, you know, kind of the, the look at this poor, um, this poor person who's, you know, I'm using the language here that I wouldn't use, but like trapped in, in a wheelchair or whatever they use. It's mm. like mm. all of that stuff. And so it's it's nice that they have that Kaz as a character is like he's angry. He's got all of that rage and he's a real person and he's disabled. And that doesn't inherently make him a villain. But just because he's disabled doesn't mean he's a victim either. He's a victim of these larger social structures, which yeah. is true of disabled people in real life, which, again, makes it all the more powerful. Like he became disabled through all of these things that happened to him in life by virtue of of exploitation and and mm. having to survive in in this city um and so yeah that anger and that rage you talk about it's that's not the what you you often see um in you know disabled characters in fiction it's not that i'm bitter because you made me disabled so i'm angry at the world i'm going to burn it down because of mm -hmm. you know because i'm disabled because of you it's it's very yeah yes he wants 
kind of revenge but the revenge is um leveling the playing field so to speak and, and what becomes clear you know quite quickly is that as part of his kind of of what i think begins perhaps as as a i want revenge for uh, you know for the systems that that have kept me down and have exploited me um it becomes almost you know the love of the caper as well which gives his character more than you know he's not just doing this um what did we we watched that kaleidoscope show on netflix um where it's like every episode's a color and you can watch in different orders and it's basically a bank heist um oh, and and it's an interesting concept um delivery kind of falls a little bit flat um but mm. i mean it killed eight hours on a day where i was stuck inside with a poorly dog so <laughs> um <laughs> but it's uh the motivation of the main character for that is it's revenge it's there's nothing more to it it's like oh you sold me down the river i went to prison because of you uh, my wife died because of you i'm gonna rob you blind and there's there's nothing more to it whereas you know with kaz what what may have started as a little bit of you know i'm gonna get revenge for the way that this system has held me down it becomes more complex but then as i'm saying that you know there is a part of me that wonders whether that's just part of the joy of a book that you can do that in a book that you in the way that you can't do in an eight-part netflix show um yeah, you know and that perhaps yeah some of where Kaz has been lost as well in the mm -hmm. in the adaptation yeah I think there's a lot of things that were lost in the adaptation um and um I think part of it was uh, aging them up I think that mm. um I, I and I it's tricky because in a lot of cases I understand why they age actors up right like I'm not I'm not saying I, I it, it is tricky but with something like this the fundamental story is that these are ultimately teenagers. These are kids. These are not adults who were dealing with all of these things. And so it kind of removes the weight of the topic, right? Mm. Of all of these traumas that they've been through to be like, oh, well, these are, you know, 20 somethings who have been through it, which not to say that, you know, it, it, it just feels like it kind of undermines the weight of the story. And I also know that they kind of um, brush off and ignore Inej's backstory. Mm and the way that it is tricky because in in the adaptation jesper becomes more of like a comic relief which is a problem mm. in a lot of ways because not to say that he isn't he is like the extroverted like openly more like loving person in the group in the books um that does you know kind of provide some joy but because they are they dive deeper into his character and his backstory and you kind of see the interiority of them more it feels a little less like, oh, look at the, you know, the the black bisexual character that we're having being like the the one who's like sleeping around kind of thing, mm, which feels yeah. feels more harmful in the adaptation. And then also just fundamentally, I don't know why they didn't cast a disabled. I, I don't know why they didn't cast a cane user as Kaz. Um, this is something I've been trying to figure out for a while. They, as far as my my research. Um, they had no disabled writers in their writer's room, but Lee Bardugo was like, you know, a, a, is an executive producer and is disabled and I, I think worked pretty close with the project. I didn't know that she, she has the same working impairment that Cass has. 
Is that correct? Uh, I think it's uh, she. I think she has something. I, it wasn't from like a an injury that didn't set right. I think it's a a, a different um, chronic illness. I think the the source of the disability is different, but she does use a cane. Yeah. 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 So yeah. you'd you would feel as though you know that if you were writing a character who was partly inspired by your experience that that would be one of the things you'd be more precious about yeah absolutely and there's actually this article that um because i was talking with somebody it's been really hard trying to like bring awareness to the many issues with the adaptation to people who love it because I, for me, it just is really frustrating as somebody who loves this and who's this is so important to that people are just kind of watching this uncritically because, you know, and just kind of, you know, letting this happen. It's like, there's a lot of, I mean, there are so many mistakes that were made in the casting that it's like, we need to have these conversations and we're not having them. And so, mm -hmm. but like, for example, when I was trying to figure out if, if uh, Freddie Carter, who plays Kaz in, in the Netflix adaptation, is disabled, I came across this article. Well, a, a friend shared this article with me where he talks about, um, let me pull the exact quote. Okay, uh, quote, I've never played a character with a physical disability before, so it seemed like a really good place to start with when portraying Kaz. I walked around with it all the time in my flat. I'd limp around on days off to make sure that it felt fully embodied because I didn't want it to be something that I just kind of dropped in and out of, end quote. So he just like openly admits to being like, yeah, I I, I walked around like I, you know, it, it is, it's this fundamental thing of like, oh, I pretend to be blind for a day. It's like, that's not how. <laughs> it's really interesting as well, because that quote, he obviously feels as though what he's done there is he's wanted to work hard to accurately mm -hmm. portray a disabled character. He's what he's saying there is he's obviously tried to give the genuine impression of disability so that he does mm -hmm. justice to the character that he's playing. Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't want to kind of give him shit because you know he's he's an actor all he wants is work well um, I, i'll and... give him shit then because <laughs> i think i i think that it's as an actor your job is to understand when it's your responsibility to step away from roles that yeah. are not for you yeah and so it's one of those things where it's like especially now like you should know better you should know yeah. that because the problem is and I, I I know what you said earlier. I I don't I don't I don't necessarily like comparing different you know playing oppression Olympics and comparing how different forms of marginalization work, right? Because like racism works differently than ableism, yes. right? In the industry, but it it is really frustrating because when they cast when they cast him as Kaz, then the cane went from a mobility aid to a prop. Yeah. And my mobility aid is not a prop. It is yeah. a mobility aid, and that's the same with Kaz. It's not, and you see this in fan art too, which is also something I've been critical of, is that when you see Kaz with his cane, he's like holding it up. He's never using yeah. it. He's just yeah. holding it. And so, you know, I, if he's, you know, mid-swing, that's that's different, right? Like he beats the shit out of people with his cane, which I personally love. People love grabbing me without my consent in random places. I've come real close to beating, <laughs> beating up some people with my cane. Um, but it, it is... It, it's just so frustrating because there's you just you should know better by now i mean the amount like last year 
like the number of disabled people of disabled characters on screen is like i'm just trying to look at um glad last year said that it's like 2.8 percent of characters Mm. um and of that you know the overwhelming majority of them are portrayed by abled actors Mm. and so like these are conversations that we've had and i just don't understand I, i yeah kind of back to the lee bardugo thing it's like as a writer and as somebody who I mean, I also blame the showrunner, absolutely. But it's like one of those things of like, there were just so many people involved, I kind of hold them all responsible because somewhere along the line, somebody should have said, hey, this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's How not, did, and how it's did it get that far? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And using this excuse of like, well, which I, 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 as far as I'm aware, nobody has said this, but the excuse is always, well, we couldn't find a disabled actor. It's like, I don't want to hear that shit at all. I, yeah, I mean, we, you know. we have talked on this show so many times about Sia's movie music and oh, her... God. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> her, her comment that was basically, oh, well, I couldn't find an autistic person to play the character. And I still stand by the fact that she never intended for anybody other than What's-Her-Face, who's in all of her music videos, to play that character anyway. Like, well, why no, and she... the whole story is fundamentally insulting too. So yeah. it's a, it's, like, it's a whole. I... There was no actual interest in in. No, but I I don't yeah. know why she ev- why they even bothered to try and sort of yeah hide it. Um, but it is it is that it's either the oh well we couldn't find a disabled actor who could do it, or it's the, you know we couldn't it cost too much to make our set accessible. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I think my my thing my thing about you know it's about the kind of looking at minority characters just generally not being played by the minority within which they sit Mm -hmm. is that and i think this is why i i can't get my head around lee bardugo just letting it slide is that when you have experienced something you cannot help but bring that to everything you do and everything that you make and everything that you are you know i am i am blind and Mm -hmm. i am blind in every situation that i am in even when i am sitting in bed listening to podcasts not doing anything not needing to see anything i am still it is still fundamentally part of who i am and i think you know the fact that Bardugo has written a character who shares her, you know, need for a, a walking aid just is just evidence of that, that you cannot make something that is not influenced by your experiences. And that's the same for, you know, it's the same for people of colour. It is the same for it. There is nothing that I find more insulting, really, than a white author writing a book about the you know a a character of color experiencing racism because i just think there Mm -hmm. is no way that you could conceptualize of what that really feels like yeah uh it just it also to a certain extent feels somewhat exploitative to me because i know so many people really found really saw themselves i mean the reason that i'm i'm so passionate about and like so full of 
really deeply upset and 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 passionate about this my criticism is because how much the the book series means to me because it was Mm. the first time I felt seen in a story I felt reflected in a story um because of there were so many aspects of Kaz's character that were like so specific to my experience um and and I know that that was true for so many other people. Well, and you know what that just suggests to me is that there must be some of Bardugo's own experience poured into that. Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. Know. Yeah. And I know that I think that she's she's talked before about how like the, the importance of Kaz to her. And I think it kind of speaks to with, with this with the Netflix adaptation. I think it speaks to the issue of um, potentially just larger internalized ableism right Mm. and also the issue of you can't just have one person and expect them to represent all elements of an experience right like you should Mm. never in in a writer's room right like you shouldn't if you have like just one one person of not even person of color you could be more specific right like one um one uh, one immigrant right then it's like you can't ha- expect them to understand every you can't expect them to have a, a, a personal experience with every aspect of being an immigrant right that's going to mm. be dependent on uh on age on gender on where did they immigrate from right like immigration experience from you know eastern europe is going to be very different than immigration experience from mexico right mm. and so it's this issue of like, well, we had Lee Bardugo, so we had the one disabled person, is also this larger thing of like, you need more disabled people in there because one disabled person does not know everything about being disabled because, you know, even about their own disability, right? Like there are so many different ways that one disability can be different in different people. Well, and and I think the thing that, that I suspect, and I, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about the writers involved in um in the the adaptation you know they will have just been a list of names at the end of the episode that i will have paid no attention to but (laughs) i suspect knowing knowing what hollywood is like that the majority of people in that writer's room were white men so actually even if we're saying bardugo's only got a kind of small slither of what the disabled experience is that the rest of the writers in that room will have an even more limited, blinkered experience view of the world because the majority of them will have been white men. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know, I know that this was, and this is kind of, I I, I only want to mention this because I want to like, just like, just mention it because I I know that it's not my place as a white person to, you know, go in depth in criticism about like the, the, the nuance of the way that like racism is portrayed in the series. But I know that they there was also an article that talked about how um that critiqued how they did how they adapted the fantasy, quote unquote fantasy racism as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna pull it's a shat the article is called Shadow and Bone Has a Bridgerton Problem. Um and the quote is we know nothing of Shuhan or its culture and neither does Alina. Her experience of being half shoe is one of pain and isolation. Though that is the experience of some in the Asian diaspora, feeling entirely American while not looking at it, 
It ties into ongoing discussions of how the minority experience in popular media gets boiled down to a narrative of continual suffering. Yeah. Why not write in some of the good things that come from being BIPOC as well as the bad? Since Alina was originally white, it leaves one with the disturbing suspicion that the series believes that being a member of the Asian diaspora is defined solely by the racism one encounters, end quote. And I know that there was a writer who, there there was a writer, uh, an Asian woman in the writer's room who talked about like pushing or like like being able to share her own experience. But again, like it kind of goes back to that fundamental problem of like, if you only have one if you only have one person with their own experience, you only have one person with their own experience. Like that's not enough, enough people to tackle such a, a, a large multifaceted issue as the way that race is portrayed in fantasy. Like that's a huge topic yeah. that we could go on about. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really hard because, you know, if you're, if, if particularly when you're looking at a, a book like the six crows series where it is incredibly diverse to try and represent all of that diversity in the writer's room, you're going to be pushing 80 people in a writer's room. Sure. Um, sure. And I suppose, you know, that that, yes, that that's unrealistic. But what you can do is try and encourage writers, you know, writers have a, a sense of creativity. And I guess, mm -hmm. you know, you, the expectation is that you you should be able to be open-minded enough to go out and seek input and go out and consider what the experience of those minority groups may be when you're then trying to create a character that kind of sits within that. Yeah, and there's also plenty of organizations. I mean, for disability, I know respectability is one. Um, they work all the time as like, um, they work as like accessibility coordinators for sets all the way to like sensitivity readers um, for, you know, big budget production. So it's not like those resources weren't available to Netflix of all things, you know, like well, and, they have the yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. And I, we were just, I was just having a conversation. Um, so we've recently uh, done some work. Uh, our Netflix did a, a film over here um, called I Used to Be Famous we were privileged enough to be able to talk to Netflix and the National Autistic Society who partnered with um, Netflix to do this, you know, review the script and um, support in the creation of that film. And that film did a really, you know, it's one of the central characters is a character with autism and um, they cast an autistic person and it's just, just straightforward. <laughs> it's just, they just yeah. did, did <laughs> did the job um you know and it's possible it just is evidence that it, it's it's possible to to be able to do that and actually you know when you from being able to kind of glimpse the behind the scenes of how that came together and how that worked it doesn't sound like it was a really arduous task it's not like they had to do a lot of work to be like oh hey would you guys consult on this because you guys are the experts on autism we don't know what we're fucking doing but we want to write something and it yeah. just fucking worked and it's like oh yeah. oh that's how you do it you mean yeah i mean just think about how much could be avoided again like if you cast somebody with a lived experience you're already able to have mm. conversations with them and incorporate their own experience. So again, it's not, 
it's not rocket science. <laughs> you you hear about these actors making ridiculous outlandish suggestions for that you know oh I feel like my character would do this and I'm sure I read when Brad Pitt was in the Ocean's Eleven movies that it was his suggestion that the character is basically oh. always eating yeah like yeah. that was just something that he decided it's like if they can do that if you've cast someone who actually has you know uses a mobility aid has a walking impairment then they might be able to go well, you know, in this scene, actually, if it was me, I'd probably do this. Like, I I think I mentioned it when we were talked um, in the original, uh, in the Pride episode, but I, whilst watching Daredevil, I definitely, uh, you know, in the later series, seeing him walking around his flat, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I, you, I don't, I don't walk around my house with such kind of smooth confidence. I've lived in this house for three years now. Yeah. Like I, I, we have a running joke in my house where I will occasionally just go up to my husband and say, would you stop moving the walls, please? Because <laughs> I, I miss the doors. And so I just, yeah. because you know, and I, I like, it, it's because that's what I, what I do as a blind person. My eyes twitch. I lose my balance. Sometimes I just don't focus enough to be like, that's the door frame. That's the wall. And yeah. yeah, you know, and, and I'm confident and I rush around my house and, you know, with full cups of coffee and hands full of stuff and, you know, don't bat an eyelid about it. But I don't, there is not a, a time that I w move from one space to another in my home without having some kind of blindness related incident. <laughs> and there's just nothing. And if yeah. Charlie Cox was blind... And I know, you know, the the things that people have said is that is that that character's not blind. He's got that weird fire vision. It's like, well, I've got vision, and I still collide with shit in my house. There's no way yeah. you're not going to do that. Um, well, I, and it, yeah, dear, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, and that would be, you know, would be that if they'd cast somebody who had a visual impairment as Daredevil he would have had, you know, they'd be filming a scene, whether he meant to or not, and he'd be like, oh, shit, that's a sofa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like, I mean, that <clears throat> also speaks to the, the thing of, like, the way that, I mean, Daredevil as a character was also written, I don't know when the character was created, but, you know, a, a while ago. Um, mm. But the, the superhero, you know, uh, the super crypt trope, I think is what they refer to it as, right? Where it's like, oh, but he has all of these things that like overcompensate for his disability. And something that I like about Kaz is that he's not overcompensating for his disability. He can't do stuff because he's disabled, but he's also able to do, he, he does other things because he's a multifaceted person with other capabilities, you know? Like he has other people to do all of the, you know, Anej is the is the one who's who's breaking into places and things like that and and doing all you know as a very skilled like gymnast and, and things like that like he other people are helping him with that because that's not his strength and his strength is in being really fucking clever about shit and so it it's just really frustrating again to take that away just feels more of like well we can't actually have him be disabled in this adaptation because then he's not cool anymore and we need him to be cool and dark and we need, need this to be like edgy and in like a sexy you know but that character is he is cool he is interesting he is 
funny and you know like I said I was really drawn to him in those books and you know I think part of the reason I enjoyed that you know I of of the Grisha series the Shadow and Bone books were not the ones that I was like oh yeah I want more of this it was the Six Crows books and so to have Kaz turn up in the Netflix adaptation I was like fucking A that was yeah. that was why I think I was so pleased that he was there and pleased that they'd got somebody, you know, that I felt looked h- how I had him in my head was because of that, um, you know, because he, I, I loved seeing that character there because I loved that character for all yeah. of that, for, for all of the, the, his sharp kind of, he is he's not a soft character he's not a mm. an easy to love warm welcoming person but mm. that's part of his charm well and so i think that was one of the things that a lot of people have said and i i agree with and continue to say is that <clears throat> putting the crows in shadow and bone did a real disservice to their story and their characters yeah um because shadow and bone is fundamentally a a weaker story and has a different has a different vibe it's a Mm. it's a whole like somebody said um this was a tumblr post but it just it just sums it up really well talking about how like the problem with the crows storyline is that it it tries to apply the same black and white morality that the grisha trilogy has and like because shadow and bone is very like simplistic ya kind of like you know, love triangle basics and like six of crows is all nuance and gray morality and mixing those two together, which they did because the reason it got famous was because six of crows, mm. six of crows. It was so well written, so much better written and had was more impactful and had a much more interesting story because it was more unique than the, um, why a heroine becomes powerful is in a love triangle, that kind of thing. Right. Like mm. we've, we've seen that a million times now. Um, and so they did that to make people watch, but then kind of like had to flatten out all of the crows as characters to make them work in this world and to make the timelines mesh. And it's like, again, yeah. you're still left with these uninteresting main characters of like, I don't give a shit about the Darkling. Like, I don't really like you, you they are in there. They are meant to be in two different stories because they were built in two, to be two different stories with two different themes and mixing them together has just overall made a worse product, I think. Like, I don't, yeah. I think they should have just done a straight Six of Crows adaptation and just not messed with Shadow and Bone at all. And but I, I don't think, know, but I also, yeah, yeah. I think Shadow and Bone is the more traditionally kind of lowest common denominator appeals to, like, people will, you know, the, the things that people remember about Buffy is that like her being in love with angel like series three that's what people remember about buffy and um shadow and bone kind of smacks of that tortured love affair you know powerful but messed up heroine who doesn't really know what she's doing um it is it that's 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 where the money is and that's why they make it or at least that's i suspect 
where people think the money is and that's why they keep yeah. making that shit you know it's it's yeah. twilight isn't it twilight is as i oh, said the sure. absolute fucking epitome of that bullshit and twilight made an absolute killing and so people yeah. think oh well this is this is a bit similar to twilight so we'll do this yeah no for sure i yeah i mean that's yeah if, if we know anything it's that the executives at netflix you know there are, there are a lot of decisions that Netflix makes that it's just like, okay, you clearly don't actually know what people want because you're making all these decisions that I understand your line of logic. It's just wrong <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. And so it's just really frustrating to me because people just underestimate. I don't know. I guess I think part of it for me is that, you know, because I read the series in, in 2017, fell in love with it. And then when... The adaptation was announced i was already really nervous i was like this is there's no way that this is going to go well so i've been following it for a long time now and i think part of the reason it just impacts me so much is because i'm a pretty cynical person and so i think that it is so rare for me to be so directly impacted like genuinely emotionally by something that it just mm. feels all the more like man this was the one thing that i had and you, like, this was the one character that I was like, wow, I can actually see myself, and I don't have that anymore. And so mm. maybe there will be other characters. I'm sure there'll be other characters. But it's like when you have so little representation to begin with, when you have so few ways to feel represented and, and see yourself portrayed in stories and to have mm. that removed, like, it's not just like, man, well, they made another mistake. You know how Hollywood is. It's like, yeah, I do. Like, it's it's a larger issue for sure. And it applies to all of these other stories. But it's like, but this one was like really close to me. And having that that one thing taken away, just it just, I don't know, it's just really hurtful ultimately, yeah. you know, from just a human standpoint. I think that there is something that if you're not a reader, you cannot really comprehend how special a book can be how much Absolutely. you can take it kind of into i i honestly feel like into your soul you know i yeah I, there are a vast number of problems with them but i read the harry potter books growing up they i am mm. that much older than you <laughs> when i i you know i read the first harry potter book when it came out in 1998 i was 11 um so i was the age that harry was you know those yeah. those books grew up alongside me and you know when Hedwig died I sat in bed and bawled my fucking eyes out about it when I was my my sight had deteriorated enough over the years that as as the books became more popular and the Stephen Fry um read versions of uh, narrated versions of them were coming out at the same time as the actual books that was a mm. game changer for me yeah and then the film started coming out and before <laughs> i can remember seeing the call out for people to play the characters on tv mm. and being gutted that i was i'd aged out by that point and i remember being really I, I still I remember saying this to everybody at the time when they cast Emma Watson as um, Hermione saying but I thought Hermione was black because mm. that's what she was in my head and you know as those films progressed and the the joke that me and my husband make is uh, we went to see the final they split the final book into two films 
the way that Ron and Hermione's relationship finally comes to kind of a, a, a point in the film, I literally out loud in the middle of cinema went, that's not what happens. Because, <laughs> because it's not what happens. What happens in the book is really poignant and builds yeah. on the characters and nuances from the characters that has been building for fucking six and a half books. Mm-hmm. And there is something about that relationship with a book that if you don't read I just don't think you can comprehend how offensive it is genuinely when adaptations fuck with it yeah yeah I mean especially when you've read things at such a pivotal moment in your life Mm. like if I'd read I don't know like I think the other thing for me is that I read Six of Crows at such a crucial moment in my Mm. life that I didn't I didn't realize it was all like in hindsight like it literally like all the pieces came together and it was right exactly when I needed to read it and when it would have been the most impactful and so that's the other thing too is that like it led to all of these other it it was just the timing of it right like you were saying Mm. you were 11 when that first book came out like when the timing of it is so exact it's just like I mean it's almost like seeing a reflection rather than reading a book you know it's like wow oh my God, like I didn't even, I didn't even know what I was missing kind of thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's really interesting hearing you talk about how important Kaz is to you, because actually I don't know if I've ever had a character that has made me feel seen. You know, there's yeah. lots of things that I've picked up from, you know, I think one of the reasons that the Harry Potter books felt so, res- that they resonated with me was that feeling um, of, not necessarily feeling as though you fit in with your your family and not knowing where your place was which you know as a I I've talked about this on the show before my my parents did their absolute best with me and my parents loved me very much but my parents brought me up saying you can do anything don't worry about your disability and as someone who was becoming was finding it progressively more difficult to do anything Mm -hmm. you know even basic stuff that was really hard and so I didn't necessarily feel seen by my family and obviously that is a key thing for for Harry you know I wasn't locked in a cupboard under the stairs <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know that was something that I I felt and mm-hmm. you know some of the other books that I've read to this um the BBC have just finished uh, ad- adapting the His Dark Materials um books yeah. by Philip Pullman um and the it's the best version of that that I have seen. But again, yeah, those books sure. were came out at a pivotal point in my life. I remember the first time I skipped school was to finish the um, Golden Compass. Um, oh, sorry, the Amber Spyglass. Golden Compass was the terrible uh, movie that they made of it. Because that those books were coming out at a time where I was beginning to understand about attraction and sexuality and you know love and that's what those books are all about um and you know relationships with animals which is obviously as a guide dog user becomes something that's very important to me um yeah yeah you know so those that that is something that that i just that, that having those having those and I, and I love I love films. Don't get me wrong. I love films. I love TV. But I've never had anything that has stuck in me like a book. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I can, so I can understand, you know, if that's how I feel about books kind of generally, I can't imagine how it's like a personal insult, isn't it? For, for you, yeah. for the way that Kaz has been ruined, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's been very frustrating because I, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty logical, cynical person. So for me, it's also like having to deal with this way of feeling like kind of embarrassed that I even mm. feel this way at all, because it's like, yeah, it's okay. Yes. But like, there are real problems in the world, right? Like, <laughs> and, yeah. and, I, and I'm aware it's of that. It's just a so, book. Why are you making such a fuss? But right. Yeah. And so there is a part of me that has to like, you know, balance that out of like, you know, for a while it was like trying to kind of just suppress that like embarrassed part of me and then another part like it's just been a really interesting challenge trying to because it, it just feels very vulnerable right showing how much you care about something and and being upset about it is like it's a, it feels a very vulnerable thing that I'm not used to right mm. yeah it's been it's been really hard having to be like but it's also you know it, it is understandable because it, it built so much of of who I am. I mean, like, I, I don't even know. I realize, I don't remember if I talked about this in the first, um, uh, the first discussion we had, but I realized I was trans while reading that book. Mm. And for, it was, again, it was a timing thing. There was a lot of other stuff happening, but it was one of those things where it was just like, being able to see a future where I existed exactly as I was when I wasn't there yet, because when I was reading it, I was still, you know, going around the world as a, as an able-bodied woman, even though that's not me. And that wasn't me at the time. Right. But that's how I was being seen and how I was navigating the world. And so it felt like being like offered a way to actually exist as, mm as who I am and give me like a roadmap to be like, and it's possible to do that. Like it is possible to, to be disabled and to be really smart and to, you know, and to transition. Right. Cause I came from a really rural town. And so um, I didn't know a lot of about much of anything until I moved out to LA for college in 2016. So like, I was still like kind of new to the world at this point. Um, and I just didn't even know it was possible until I read this series. And like, it just was so pivotal to me that, yeah, it, it just, it's hard for it to not feel like a personal insult because it's just so important for so many reasons. And to just have that, all of that nuance and all of that possibility kind of like stripped away in the adaptation and, and like I kind of said before, like flattened out and it's true of the other characters as well. Like, I mean, I, people have very valid criticisms of the casting and the writing of, of the other crows as well, but yeah, it just, it just feels really dismissive. And it's, I think the biggest thing for me is just reminding myself that the books still exist untouched, right? Like I will always have the books and the books can't be yeah. taken away from me. But at the same time, you know, it's still really important for me to be like, hey, if you really like this show, maybe consider all of these things that you haven't considered before and maybe even stop financially supporting it. Like, you know, like I, I just don't I don't know. I mean, maybe some people really found maybe some disabled people really found the show and maybe found the books through the show. Mm -hmm. But again, it just it just feels so, so disingenuous. It's like you don't even deserve to see yourself 
seen on screen, we're just going to kind of make a mockery Mm. by, again, like, again, disabled people aren't worthy of being portrayed on screen. So we're just going to kind of do, you know, we're just going to kind of do something else with it and, again, make it into a prop Mm. and a caricature instead of, like, a character. Yeah. Let's end on something positive. Tell us about Kaz in the book. Tell us about why Kaz in the book was so powerful to you is there is there a scene is there a part of that book that that you think back on and you think that that's the bit that's that's the that's Kaz that's the what I want everybody when they think of Kaz this is what they should know there is there are so many scenes I think I think my favorite though is I mean, the opening scene where they introduce him is so good because, I mean, you introduce all of the characters and you think that it's going downhill, but he's already 12 steps ahead. So already laying out how clever he is is such an engaging way to jump into the story. And you're immediately invested and you're immediately like, wow, this dude, like, he's smart. But I think for me, something that emotionally resonated was there's a scene where he's coming down the stairs with his cane and he's limping and he's also beating the shit out of people with his cane and it's kind of a long time coming it's a matter of of revenge but also just establishing that like just because i'm all of these things just because i'm disabled like you do not get to fuck with me Mm. um and not shying away from that just was really like empowering to me because like I said before having to deal with random people who just grab you on the streets and stuff like that or say I've had people strangers say the rudest things to me when they see my cane um seeing him just walk down those stairs and just like I don't know it's just it was just really satisfying to be like yeah and we can still we're disabled and we can still fuck you up I think I need that on a t-shirt we're disabled but we can still fuck you up (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's yeah that's kind of that's kind of what I took away from from him as a character which is like yeah and you know again it's not disabled but we can still fuck you up it's like disabled and we can still fuck you up so yeah I love it I love it Leo that's fantastic thank you so much um yeah this has been brilliant uh gang thank you very much for listening go back listen to leo's pride episode where we talk about a lot of the same stuff um but lucy's also there so that's nice for (laughs) lucy fans um (laughs) and um yeah you can find us on the internet you can find leo on the internet all of the links will be in our show notes Uh, And we will see you next time for something completely different. I have no idea what it's going to be yet. So uh, that's exciting for everyone. Thanks, Leo. Thank you for having me. It was so, so much fun and just so wonderful talking with you. Oh, yeah. No, it's been brilliant. I really enjoyed geeking out as I knew I would. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall. Our music was by Maisie Crunden and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. <laughs>